Hey there, David Penderlofgren here. As you can probably guess from the title of this episode, we're doing something a little different. And that is, we, uh, Andy Rick, sound engineer extraordinaire, and I, have been working on a few podcast projects outside of Little City Big Sound. If you heard our last episode featuring Devin Champlin, then you heard the ad in the middle for the new show, Building Bellingham. Well, today I am proud to say that we have released our first full episode. Building Bellingham is the brainchild of Leo Cohen. He's a local entrepreneur and realtor who came to us with a vision. He wanted to create a podcast that would feature interviews with the business people of Bellingham. He wanted to create a space for local entrepreneurs to come into the studio and talk with him not just about running a business, although that's part of it. He wanted to talk with them about their journeys, how they grew up, what inspires them, and most importantly, what they do when they hit a roadblock. As someone who's in the middle of building a business, I can attest to the fact that there are plenty of roadblocks along the way. And many of them are psychological. They're emotional roadblocks. Moments of doubt, of crippling fear, of feeling like you're in way over your head. But in spite of all of that, people are successfully starting and building businesses all the time. So how do they do it? What happens when the bank says no? When the business partner backs out? When you realize you haven't spent quality time with your friends and loved ones for weeks? These are the questions that Leo is trying to answer. And he's asking them to the people who make up our local economy. I'm really excited about this show. I think it's going to be another great opportunity for us as a community to hear from people that we kind of know or have at least seen running around, but we don't really know what their story is. At the BellPod Network, that's the whole point. Find local people who do incredible things and get to know them a little bit better. That way, the next time they're pouring a pint for you or playing a song for you, your experience can be more than just transactional. It can be authentic. Our community is full of interesting people with compelling stories. And Building Bellingham is an opportunity to hear a few more of those stories. This is likely to be the only episode of Building Bellingham that we release via the Little City Big Sound feed. So if you want to hear more, you can subscribe via whatever app you're using to listen right now. Just search for Building Bellingham. Okay, I'll let Leo take it from here. Welcome to Building Bellingham. I'm Leo Cohen, and I'll be your host. Hey, everybody. This is Leo Cohen with the Cohen Group Northwest and Keller Williams Realty. I'm a local realtor and entrepreneur. I'm super excited to be doing this podcast. Thanks for tuning into our first episode, The Maiden Voyage. I started this podcast because every day I draw inspiration from so many awesome local entrepreneurs and business owners. So I wanted to create a platform to empower others that are in that position where they're you know, ready to jump into whatever it is that they want to do or start a business, but they just need that inspiration or that roadmap on how to get there. So on today's show, we have Jesse Nelson, who's the co-owner of Overflow Taps, which has two locations, one up in Linden and one here in Bellingham in Barkley Village. Since they've opened their doors, they've raised over $30,000 to source clean water in Eastern Africa. Jesse is a bundle of energy. Gets up at four in the morning, just ready to hit the day hard. He's an inspiration to me, he's a mentor to me. Excited to have him on the show. Without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation. Dude, your first podcast. 
excited. I know. You know know. I'm going to end up going off script, right? I mean, that's just how I roll. All right. Awesome. So just wanted to jump right into this. Jesse, welcome. Thanks for showing up Mm -hmm. for this. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Really appreciate it. Glad to be a part of your first podcast. Um, We're excited to get to know you a little bit better. Um, And something that you've done really amazingly that I've 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 actually been following and, and, and trying to follow in your footsteps has been your business model. We'll get a little bit more into that. Cool. But appreciate that. Um, who are you? Well, you want me to get into some family stuff? You want me to just give it to you? Just go for it. I yeah. like this. I Jump like this, right man. In. From Longview, Washington, I've got uh, four siblings, uh, sis, all sisters, mother and a father. Didn't really have a super positive upbringing. It's funny when I when I, I hear the question, and you might even have it in here. I'm not sure because I didn't see the questions, which I really love. When I hear podcasters asking people, entrepreneurs, like what their upbringing was like or who their, how their parents were. I always hear positive things. Mm-hmm. But the reality is for me, I, I really didn't have a good upbringing. I had a great mom, uh, but a dad was never really supportive. And so I didn't really have uh, a culture that fostered any form of creativity or, or, or kind of entrepreneurship. So where I'm at now, um, I learned a lot through that. But um, but yeah, that's kind of like the begin to kind of set the stage for the stuff we're going to talk about, I'm sure, throughout this podcast. But mm-hmm. um, spent uh, four years in the in the Navy, um, U.S. Navy. I uh, got out of that uh, and spent some, uh, I always say spent time in the Department of Corrections. What I mean to say is that uh, I was in, employed by the Department of Corrections. Didn't Thanks actually, for the clarification. Yeah, didn't actually yeah. go to prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was with the state of Washington Department of Corrections. Uh, in um, the IT field. So since I was probably 16, 15, 16, I was always interested in electronics and computers. Um, And so that's what I did in in the military and then uh, with the state of Washington Department of Corrections and then met my wife, moved up to Linden and started a social good business. That's the short version because we'll be here forever if I tell you everything. But well, I mean, that's 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 a lot in one one piece right there. <laughs> yeah. no, but, but that's that's great. So, uh, one one thing that you said that really interested me mm-hmm. was you talk about coming from a place where creativity it sounds like it was kind of stifled. It was stifled, and then all of a sudden, cut to, and we're here at this point right now. And, yeah. and just knowing you on a personal level and on a business level, yeah. you're probably one of the most creative people that I know. Mm-hmm. So, was it that kind of stifling environment that just made you kind of step through the portal and jump yeah. out and, and, and just go for it? It's a great question. I actually never saw it in myself until much later in life. And so other people saw it in me, like my supervisors in the military specifically, where the first ones were like, hey, you've, you know, like, you've got something special here. You can do great things. And after I got out of the military, there's, there's like one military friend that I'm still really close with now. I'm seeing maybe twice a year. And he, he didn't tell me this at the time, but when I started this business, um, Overflow, he said that when I left the military, he always thought that I would I would do great things, you know. But there was no one in my life that was telling me those things all the way through until I actually met my wife, and so my wife actually helped me realize that these things that I was going through were creative things and okay things, and these all these ideas I had were things that I could pursue, and that stems from her upbringing. She comes from a, a, a lineage of entrepreneurs all her family, uncles, aunts, that culture started creating a different way of thinking for me. Not really a different way of thinking, but accepting, realizing what it was that I was going through. You know, I always struggle with, with uh, like management and, and, and uh, as far as like with my managers and leaders, um, like I never really saw it their way. I always wanted to kind of do my own thing. And so I always had this creative nature, but I just never really knew that it was something that I could latch on to until I got older in life. Like I didn't know I was gonna. I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur, or even what an entrepreneur was, until 2005. What is that like? Your, what is your first 
um, interaction with um, somebody saying like, what do, you, what do you mean? Just just give just, it a try. Just do it. Just try and fail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was basically like a big. It was like a like a burden had been lifted off me for my entire life. I never really had anyone that where I set an idea to and was like, go do it. You know. And then and then like fear of failure too. It's like sometimes I wouldn't want to do something out of fear of failing, but then realizing some of her uncles or one of her uncles specifically, just in the story that came to my mind just now was, um, you know, he had started a business and he went bankrupt and suffered through some things. And he would tell you this too. Um, and then came out of it and started another business. And so it was like, that's the fail forward thing, you know, where, um, where it's okay to fail. And then I started kind of shifting to this, this mindset of, oh, well, it's okay to fail. Then I started taking more risks in my personal career and like started advancing in my career because of taking those risks, because re- realizing when I was a kid, you could, you we weren't, I wasn't allowed to fail. Like failure was a no go, you know? And so but now I'm around people who are saying it's okay to fail. And that was a huge burden. It's nice to, to within myself to be able to go about my life, not worrying ever about failure. You know, that's a whole, that's a whole different game right there yeah. for sure. I want to go back. There's something that really, changed my life as well. So right around the same time, this is actually right after I met my wife. I think we were maybe, we might've even been married for about a year. And my career was not taking off. So I'd been in the same position for like eight years, just battling management. And we were at the grocery store and we're in line and she says, hey, I'm gonna run and get some ice cream. And I was like, no. And I was like, it was like my dad as a kid was telling me no. I was firm in this no. And she had never heard that from me before. It was kind of this, just this reaction. And my wife and I went home and had a deep conversation about it. Because in the moment, I'm like, wait, why did I even say that? Go get as much ice cream as you want. I have no idea why I said that. We go back home and kind of start to break this thing down. And we realized that my entire life was no, 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 no. Can I go do this? No. Like any idea I have, no. You know, and like you're told as a kid, no. And in the Navy, really, like if you have ideas, it's a lot of no's. State government, the same way, a lot of no's until you kind of get higher up. And then the question came up with my wife, Kristen, what if my own internal like background is affecting my advancement in my career? So I shifted this way of thinking to... I call it think yes, and it's, it's a pretty common term now, but I was just starting to think. Now, I wasn't saying yes. Like, if you ask me to jump off a bridge, I'm not just going to jump, right? But I would think in a different way. Instead of thinking about the ways I couldn't do something, I started thinking about the ways that I could do something. And that, that has now stuck with me just from that one moment until, like, as we sit here today. And my once I started making that shift, then it was instead of battling with my manager, it was yes, how can we make this happen? How can we make this happen? Let's figure out ways we can do this. So then like my career started to really take off then. It was like, okay, quickly. Now I'm in a management role and on an executive path and move down to Olympia and take a job there. And then different business ideas pop up and I'm like, yes, let's try it. You know, that, that moment in time in my life really has changed my path, I think forever. So what's an example of a time in your life or in your business where you had no just like flood your brain, but you said, you know what, I'm going to think yes. What was what was this, uh, uh, an example of that? Oh, man. The, I mean, the business that I own now, the Tap House, right? So I own a Tap House in Linden, Washington, started it in Linden, Washington. We have one in Bellingham as well. Uh, we donate 25 cents a pint to charities that provide access to clean drinking water in developing countries. That's a really fancy way to say we build wells in Africa is really what's happening through drinking beer. And to put a craft beer place in Linden was like unheard of. 
you know, I think it was dry at some point in time. I don't know all the details because I'm not from there, but I just know that alcohol wasn't, it was just hard to get alcohol and like no one goes out there to drink beer. I'm, it was a big deal in two different ways. It was, people were excited about it, but yeah. people were also kind of, whoa. We were told no a lot. Like we, we, I mean, people just did not think our business was going to do well in Linden. Like it was not the place to go. And so um, the banks wouldn't give us a loan, you know, to be able to put a, uh, put our, put a location there, which ended up working out in our favor because we didn't get any money from the banks. But people in the community didn't, didn't, wasn't sure if it would be successful. There was a lot of no's leading up to that business. And then, but ultimately it was scratching our own, our own itch. Mm -hmm. It was like, I want a beer. I don't want to drive all the way to Bellingham to get it. So let's put one in Linden. And then it's been, uh, it's been, you know, depending on your definition of success, it's been, it's been pretty good. So, okay. So no, 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 no. Right. Mm -hmm. This has kind of been your upbringing. And then you come into a town where it's historically dry on Sundays, right? Yeah. And the bank says no. Yeah. How many times did they say no? Three banks said no. Three banks said no. And what was your reaction on the first no versus the third no? Because you're in business and you're and you guys are doing awesome. So what yeah. was what was your did you did it build? What what happened? The first no um, was because the bank and I won't say the bank's name, but they felt that we. Um, they didn't want us to give from the get-go, which kind of makes sense. Like, they don't even know if you can make money while you're giving 25 cents a pint from off the top. Understood, understood. And the other one was didn't think craft beer would do well in the city of Linden. So that was the first no. Um, the second no, we actually came really close to getting a loan there, but it ended up being for the same same reason. The, this is number two? Number two. This okay. was giving. This was a, a bank in Bellingham. And this was that was our second no, but it was more about the charity. Like, again, like giving, you're giving, you're giving, you know, right, right from the get. Um, and then the, the third bank said no, but by this time we were already looking at how to get financing in other ways. So we worked with a videographer friend of ours to do a video for a GoFundMe account. We were looking at friends and family for peer-to-peer -peer loans, raising capital by selling merch and doing like uh, lifetime membership plans. We had already now, because we, we thought the bank would just be the easy way to go, but because we couldn't get it, then we started looking at all the ways we could get it in other ways. So, you know, getting a little bit of money out of the wife's 401k and like taking some of these risks to actually start this business where you could just crumble over and, and die because the bank told you no on your money. You know, we all know there's there's tons of ways to get money now. Like the bank can pretty much be the last place you can go get money um, these days. But uh, So thinking, yes. Carrying forward that. Yep. Well, that motto, yeah, is what right. gets you. It's like, well, we oh, no money? Oh, crap, we're done. No, that's not how it works. If you want to do it, you got to figure out how to do it. And you have to bootstrap it at that point. Like, you mean, you know, I think the first location we opened was $50,000 or $60,000 in startup. Um, it was tight. It was really tight. But and, and you guys, I have one direction I can go with this, but the other direction that pops into my mind is you and Adam both told me a story, and Adam is the other owner of Overflow. Adam Stacy, yeah, yeah, he he's uh, and we're fifty fifty owners, and and he is an amazing cog in the wheel. He he really does run the ship. So you guys started this out together, and remind me if I'm going in the wrong no, direction. This is great. But at the Linden location, you guys hadn't hired anyone yet, so it was just you guys serving as well? Me, uh, Adam, and at the time there was another partner, Josh. Yep. We were working behind the bar 60-hour work weeks for probably three months. And then you have to work on the business too. That was the side that kind of failed in the beginning. But but yeah, yeah it was a lot of hours. So you guys just buckled down, mm -hmm. put the hours in, and you said something about working on the business for, versus working in the business. Correct. Can you talk a little bit more about why both sides are so important to both a business? Both sides are really important. So 
Working in the business gives you perspective so, so that way you can set clear expectations for the jobs within those businesses. And, and that's the main thing. So if you've been the CFO, if you've been the, the keg buyer, the beer buyer, if you've been the beer tender, the manager, the marketing director, if you've been all these things, whether it's you yourself or like in my case, I have a business partner. So we've split a lot of those duties. Then we know how to set the expectations for people coming in. That's the that's the importance. And then understand your customer base, especially our our business. Working in the business has helped us learn what our customers really want, you know, um, and built those relationships that have lasted years. You know, those those like three months where we worked a lot, and it, we even worked the bar long after that, just not as much. S- helps build those relationships for people who have been supporters since day one. Then. You have to do it in a staged approach where the first thing we, we were were beer tenders. And I was like, okay, well, in order for us to free up time to work on the business, which is like figuring out how to actually make the business successful, we can't be behind the bar 60 hours a week. So the first thing we did was we hired a beer tender. We ended up hiring two beer, beer tenders because one of them we really liked. We were only going to hire one. So we brought in two. And then that freed up time for both of us. Now I could start doing a little bit of social media marketing, just a tiny bit. Instead of just posting every day, now I can actually learn how to market the business. Which is what you love to do. Which is what my passion is. Right. And uh, Adam could now actually start to figure out how to manage people. And then the next thing, the next phase after that was, we were still working behind the bar. Then the next phase after that was, okay, let's get rid of our bar shifts. So that way Adam can actually be a good CFO. Because that was a really important, it's been a really important part of our business. And how to be a good COO and a general manager and now actually build a hiring process and a and a and an onboarding packet and all these things to actually help a business long term be able to succeed. And then me being able to get more involved in the community, that that side of marketing, and then really focus on what it means to be a good CEO. You know, and you can't do those things if you're working in the business, but there isn't there isn't an importance to working in your business, I think, before you move into those other things. Absolutely. So you're basically sitting Say you're sitting in chairs next to each other. You guys both have a stack of hats on. So when you're when you're starting this business, whatever mm-hmm. industry you're in, you have a stack of hats, right? This is it, bro. This is and it. And you're sitting there trying to balance all these hats. You're like, oh, this hat, I don't like this hat. And uh, this hat is a little too heavy, and this one makes my hair flat. And, this is it. And then all of a sudden you start realizing, okay, I can't live like this anymore. Yeah, man. And you go, hey, you, uh, over there, here's uh, here's a hat that I think might fit you and they, they try it on, they hate the hat, they give it to somebody else. Yep. Okay, try this hat. So basically you're, you're passing out these, these, and I'm almost done with the hat metaphor. No, but, this is great. I've never heard it described this way. This is great. But like having that, what you guys did was you had a recognition that these are the things that you guys needed to do to be able to teach other people how to do these well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then from that point, then you actually just needed to go for it and say, you know, kind of take a step back you know, from mm-hmm. a from a finance perspective and say, you know what, I need to hire somebody to do this because this is not wh- where I should be focusing my yeah. time. Is that about right? That's exactly it. And then the last one we did was hire an event planner. Our business became so much about events. Like any any form of profit, if there is any form of profit, is going to come from those events. And so we started realizing how valuable that they are. So we hired Angela and she has taken over events. So that way that frees up more time. For now we started the podcast, you know, so it's like, you got to start hiring even like sometimes it doesn't make sense financially like like you're pre-hiring you're almost like yeah. too soon is Yeah yeah and you can do it too soon that's yeah. the struggle you that's the struggle you you know you you play with that's the fine line but but ultimately you got to hire those things out so you can help the business grow and that's actually where a lot of small businesses fail that's where a lot of depending on what their de- definition of success is 
So you said something really interesting. There was a there was a period of time where it's like a ramp up period. You bring someone on as leverage. Yeah. And it's not like you're just saying, hey, hey here's this hat. Um, oh man, this, you're gonna wear this perfectly. No. They put it on, and you know they're like, how do I put this? How do I? It's not the right size. Yeah. How do I do this? And t- talk to me a little bit more about that period when you decide to bring someone on that you you know obviously you have to find someone that's good and that's yeah. a good fit for it. But then what's that transition period like when you're stepping away from that position, but then also pretty much training that person, yeah. but then also trying to keep your hands off to like let them do their thing. Yeah, the hands off let, and let them do their thing thing usually comes from ego. And so it usually stems from a little bit of ego or control, right? You don't want to give it away out of, out of just because you've done it so long. But um, there is a phase. I mean, you hire someone, you train them, and you train them in the way that you want them to be trained unless they're, they're really really experienced, right? So you train your your processes and procedures. And so for a little bit of time, I'm now it's harder for me, actually. So now I'm doing the work I've wanted to do, and I'm still training someone side by side for like six months. Now it actually gets harder when you hire someone and have to train them up a little bit. You actually spend more time doing it until you're ready to let it go. And then, so it's a long-term investment. Uh, and, and, and recognize that even if a person is doing 80% as well as I think that I can do it, that's better than me spending 100% of my time doing it, you know? So I have to well, accept that what you don't, you, we're like, you might have to accept the fact that someone's not going to do something the same way you would do it or like to the perfection that you think you would do it and be okay with that as long as things can move forward, you know? So basically what you're saying for all for all the people listening to this, all the hundreds of thousands of people listening to this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what I'm talking about. There's a timeline. You get to a point, like a breaking point. We've both probably been there multiple times where you say, wow. I can't do this anymore well. Yeah. And I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing. And this is my role. This is what I should be doing. This mm-hmm. is what I'm good at. My name is Jesse. I should be out in the community. I should yeah. be meeting people. I should be inviting people. I should yeah. be collaborating with other businesses. And then you say, great, now I have to start figuring out who's going to take that off my hands. Yep. Then you, you you go through this process of trying to put this net out there to find the right people. Yeah. And some just don't work out for whatever reason for yep. timing. Then you get one person in a room right? Metaphorically, you get one person right here. They say, yeah, I, this is a good fit. You say, all right, I feel like it's a good fit too. And then you're ramping up. You're basically doing, still doing their job and training them, basically trying to hand it off to them. And then there's this like handoff. Talk to me about that, like that point, maybe for you and Angela, where, yeah. where she goes, okay. She's like kind of tugging on the baton, like, okay, Jesse, I, I, give me the baton. I'm ready. Let's do this. Yeah. It mainly kind of happens for us. It really happened with events in that she was really, really like, hey, you have to step away from this. And so that's only going to happen if they feel like they're ready. So that's kind of when you know that you're, they're ready. If they're willing to say, I'm doing these events, you got to step away from this. Like, you got to like, not come to the events in the same capacity I was coming to, coming to them before, where I'd be kind of an active role. Now it's more come talk with the people, that kind of thing, and not be the point man for all these different events. So you have this pass off. Yep. And that they, they have pushed. Well, they're, they're pulling the baton. Yeah. You're like, yeah, but this is my baton. Yeah. I gave yeah, I'm not it. quite ready. I'm not, not quite, quite ready. ready. I'm, I'm not, not quite ready. ready. I'm not quite ready. Rocket's like ready to launch. Yeah. So tell me about your ego in that moment. Cause we all have ego, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're the, you know, the, the, the biggest saint in the world, or you are not the biggest saint in the world. We all have ego. It's, it's human yeah. nature. So in that moment, what is your ego saying? Is your ego screaming, saying, the big, I'm experiencing that now, actually, yeah. with social media. Angela wants to take on some different social media roles. 
And as she's getting more efficient, when we knew this would happen, now she's becoming really efficient. I knew exactly how long it took from the inception of event to the time it took to promote the event, the exact amount of time. And so, uh, and when she first started, it took a while, but now she's getting very efficient, which creates more time. And so now she wants to take on some social media stuff, but my ego side of me, like the, the deep inside of me is not quite ready to give it up because I'm still learning a lot from it, right? Mm-hmm. So, and she's been asking now for like a couple months and that is, that's ego. I have a team member that really, really wants to learn it and wants to take it on. And that would be very helpful for me for her to take it on. And the only reason it's not happening is because I don't think that I'm ready to pass it on. It's not that she's not, she's not ready. It's that I'm learning so much and like, I don't necessarily want to give it up. And it's something that I really love. But like, who's to say I can't pass off the the first steps of that stuff? Or there's some kind of process we can create. Like maybe she does Snapchat, you know, or something like that. So a little bit gets taken off my plate while she learns. Because I think that it, it eventually it becomes a point where it's a skill that I think that she needs in order to grow in her career and leave us eventually and do great things. And she recognizes that too. It's investing in her future. And as soon as I can start thinking about it that way, it's investing in her future, then it's like, okay, I'm ready to give this away, which is also an investment in my future. Okay. It's not easy, man. Cause you have to be really self-aware. If you know, a lot of people don't recognize that they have an ego or that they don't want to let something go out of fear. You've got to really spend time in the thinking process to be like, okay, did I just do this because, you know, I, I don't want to give it away or that, or I do it because I'm scared it's not going to get done right. And then, then you got to make decisions. So this is almost a second level of thinking yes, right? It's Absolutely. like it's like thinking yes through somebody that you've already said yes to. It's almost this like second yeah. tier of dude, CEA, CEOs get paid to think. And I'm just now getting kind of understanding this. I like to operate as well, but I need time to think, to really think high level, really think about what's going on, you know, pull some data and paint a picture and then to be able to help make a decision. For you, especially when we, if we go back to what you're talking about with your childhood and, and being in an, a, a not positive yeah. or negative, however you want to look at it, environment, now that you have the ability to choose who you yeah. um, surround yourself with, how important do you think that would be for other entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, people in general, yeah. uh, as far as placing people in their lives go? That's huge. I think that I think that whatever it is you're trying to do in life, say your hobby is golfing and you're an entrepreneur, you know, uh, if you want to become a better golfer, then, and your cousins, like, you know, some relative is like, I don't know, Jason Day, go play some golf with him and you're going to become a better golfer. And in business, it's the same way to where if you find business owners who, who you view as successful um, or are doing great things or they're self-aware, they're think yesers, they've got a social good business and, you've, and you can surround yourself with like four or five of these people, then they will help you achieve the things that you want to achieve as well. You'll kind of become a product of your surroundings. So it's important that you surround yourself with people who are going to make you better. And it's okay that this is all seasons in life. That's how I feel about mentors too. It's a season in life. So there's been times in my life where I surround myself with people. And then there's a time when it's time to surround myself with other people. Not that there's anything wrong with these people, but there's just a different direction or I'm going, you know, I might be just going in a different direction. And so then I surround myself with, and I'm actively doing this all the time now. It's kind of the way I think about it now. It's like, okay, I can kind of cut bait here. You know, this person's more of an acquaintance, um, but I'm going to really surround myself with a core group of people that can really help me. You're doing it for a selfish reason in some ways. 
Um, I, I want to surround myself with people that make me better so that become, I become a better person. So that way I can actually help other people around me become better, you know? Um, and it's a mutual, it's a win-win situation for everybody, but, um, but it does happen for more of a selfish reason. And you got to surround yourself with people. Like my favorite quote is that you are an average of the five people you surround yourself with. And that is something I, I try to live by, you know, and I don't have a lot of time. As you know, there's not a lot of time in the day for b- aspiring entrepreneurs and, uh, and business owners. Uh, so you have to be selective about the people you're going to add in your life for that little bit of time that you have to spend with them. So not a lot of time in the day when you get up in the morning, which is at what time? Anywhere between, usually it's a, uh, usually it's five 30. I'm usually starting work by six 30, but sometimes I'll get up at like 3 a.m. Just depends on what's going on in my mind. Just pop, eyes yep. pop open. Yep. And I'm fired do, up. Do you prep the night before? Do you get kind of set up for the day? I'll tell you how it works. So Monday, Monday is the only day of the week that nothing can get in to Monday. Like I have a routine on Mondays that's very strict and almost there's just nothing really that can squeeze. I used to theme all the days, cause, especially because of all the roles I had in the company. So like this day is Monday is my day to get organized. So it's a day of organization. Tuesday is I'm working on social media. Wednesdays I'm working on events for overflow. Thursdays is community involvement. You know, and I would break that up. But now that now it's it's changed because it's so dynamic now within the week that mm-hmm. now I just make it so Monday is the day. I try to schedule all my meetings in one day, but it doesn't always work out. But Monday is the day that I take um, again take myself and get organized for the entire week and nothing can really interrupt me during that time frame um, and what I do is like this week there's nothing that I let creep in that I didn't already define on Monday usually so if something comes to me and they're like hey let's meet for coffee or let's you know we let's let's talk about this event I'll put it in a notepad or I'll receive it in an email or I'll write it down on a note card and it goes in like a little inbox on my desk and everything goes in this inbox this kind of this virtual physical and virtual inbox and then Sunday night, sometimes Sunday night, but usually the first like five hours of Monday morning, I'm processing all of that inbox stuff to say, oh, do I want to do this? Do I want to do this? Oh, let's schedule this. Let's schedule that. So that way, by the time Tuesday morning rolls around, I know exactly what needs to get done for the week, exactly what my schedule. And the more I'm focused on that Monday and getting super organized for the week and assigning next actions for all of my projects, the better my week is. And all I'm trying to do is win each day and determining what, what winning means to me. There's some personal things I'm working on within my personal life that, that, that if, if I follow these things, then that's a win in my personal life. And then there's some business life. There's, you know, there's, there's goals there. And as long as I'm hitting those things, then I have this perception that I've had this very productive day, which usually means I did have a really productive day. So, Monday. Monday's how I get organized, but... Just quickly, if we yeah. can go on to that topic. That's really interesting to me because you, you're talking about wins, what does wins. that mean? So micro a, micro wins. So on a day that you don't open up a new location, yeah, every day, right? Yeah. Um, I'm just saying. Yep. Right yeah. now, you guys have two locations. Yep. You're not opening up a new location in a new new city every single day. So right. what is, what is a that's a macro that's a macro macro macro, macro win. Yep. What does a micro win look like for you? An example of a micro win would be um, would be. $3 CPM on a Facebook ad. So CPM is how much you pay for the thousand people that you reach. Um, and so I, we're working, I'm working really, really hard to bring that number down while still maximizing our engagement. And we've gone from like $18 was when we first started. So it was $18 to reach a thousand people down to like three bucks to reach a thousand people with super targeted ads. And so 
for me, that would be an example of a win. Like I wake up, I check Facebook ads to see how my ads are doing. And all of a sudden I realize, all right, I hit this goal that I've been trying to reach with, with my Facebook ads or a certain engagement level. We hit a certain engagement rate on a post. That's something that we're working on. Those are little micro wins. Really just really anything that's going on throughout the day in the business that's on my to-do list or they're, they're all micro wins. The whole day is the whole day you could almost be considered a win, but it's because it really depends on my productivity. I mean, if I'm really productive throughout the day and I'm getting through tasks, dude, that's, this goes back to a micro win for me would be, I just was talking about how I identify, how I need to identify next actions from all my projects that Mm -hmm. happens on Monday. All those next actions go on my whiteboard. And then as I move one of those from doing to done, that's a micro win. And those little micro wins give you motivation to keep moving forward with your day. You know, it's like those lulls you have when all of a sudden it's like two o'clock. You're like, oh man, I'm, I'm kind of done for the day. But the more I move over, the more tasks I get done on projects, the more it motivates me to continue going on. Micro wins just help me feel, especially on a personal level. Like if I go for a run in the morning, cause it's something that I've been wanting to do, then that starts the day off right. That's a micro win. So I'm trying to win little parts of each day so that I can look back on the day and say, I won, I'm trying to win the day and I won, I won the day today. So how do you prioritize all of these? Say you have 20 micro tasks on a Monday. Yeah. How do you sit down and prioritize what's really important and what's kind of just fluff? The most important thing for us, right for me right now, is marketing the business. And uh, literally working Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, all the social media platforms, Twitter, all the platforms. And when I say marketing, I mean, right now, I mean paid advertising. And so that is my number one priority. And I, sometimes I lose sight of that because I'm focusing on thinking or, you know, but that is work that has to get done every single day or our events don't go off as, as successful as they could um, or a beer launch doesn't go off as successful. That's the primary goal for me. That's the number one priority. And then the rest of it is like, if it's not going to, you know, if, if, if because I don't do something, um, as long as, as long, yes, if because I don't do something, the, the business crumbles, that's, I mean, that's obviously a priority. Most of the things within the business are long-term goals to where they don't, they're not necessarily have to get done in a specific time frame. So to prioritize, it's almost like I just kind of go through the list and pick one that I want to do and I move on it until I can't move on it anymore and then I move on to the next project. And then that next Monday, I'll, I'll go look at everything I did and, and then identify next actions for all the projects and rinse and repeat. So I'll try to stick with one project until I can't do anything with it anymore because I'm waiting on an email from someone or a product to come in. And then I'll, I'll note that I'm waiting for that to come in and I'll move on to the next project. So, so going in a different direction, what, 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 yeah. do you, what do you do when you feel stuck? I engage with people. That's a fabulous question. My, my, um, how I re-energize aside from caffeine, is getting out into the community and engaging with another human being. So if I get a little stuck at my home, at my home home office, I'll go to Woods Coffee and I'll just talk with strangers or definitely talk with the baristas. Talking with people, engaging with people re-energizes me, gets my creative juices going, and then I get fired up and get back to work. I think we've had a couple mm-hmm. meetings where you, you, you said, hey, let's meet today. Can you move up the meeting? I'm yeah. sure. And what's going on? You're like, man, I hit, hit a wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got to engage with people. And that's, just, that's, that's something that's taken me a long time to learn too, is I refuel by engaging with others in the community. Like I, the job I'm doing now, like the way I'm going about my job doesn't actually, um, doesn't actually use my strengths. And so what I mean by that is I sit behind at my computer 
most days for a long time on for this job, other than working events and getting out to the, into the community. Um, but a lot of my job is just sit at my home desk, and that's actually not the best place for me to be. The best place for me to be would be engaging with other people, even if it's a 30-second conversation, you know, like in a workplace, in a cubicle environment. So you, so you just get out, and, and this is not for everybody either. Nope. Each entrepreneur Actually, has, I know a lot of people who yeah. aren't this way. Yeah. So there is another side of the coin where people may need to recharge by getting away from people. Absolutely. Too, and recognizing that. Absolutely. Right? Or going down to the river and getting the getting the hanging out in the sun for 30 minutes or whatever it is that you do, you, you figure out within yourself to re-engage, or I'm sorry, to, to refuel. Uh, yeah, everyone's definitely different. So when, when you go to recharge, how important is that for you to recharge? It's important, but I, I don't put a high value on it. And that's a fault. That's something I'm trying to work on. I've been t- like refilling your cup is something I'm very interested in right now. It's like, and I think it might have even been you that was talking about it to so you or someone else. And then so then I start thinking about it. I'm like, oh, well, maybe I'm not the kind of person that's best, my, my best at working 20 hours a day, you know, and working really, really hard. Maybe I'm at my best if I work 16 hours a day, take two hours to go play nine you know, on like a Friday, have a beer and reset for the next week. You know, I have, I, I don't know, because I've never tried to experience those things. I've only always thought that the hard work is the best thing for me. But so now I'm kind of playing around a little bit with, is there a thing for me like refilling my cup? You know, is, is taking a 15 minute walk helping refill the cup, you know, or doing a little bit of golf or, or hanging out with some friends, you know, things that I have not done very well in the last three years is make time for myself and other people. And that's something I'm trying to work on now. I think it's the the struggle that every entrepreneur that is listening to this and everyone that, you know, we know that is an entrepreneur and struggles with that. I, I know I've talked about this with yeah. you. I've talked about this with yeah. many other people. It's this whole idea of putting water in your cup first so that you, you can then pour water in other people's cups, right? Yeah. You have no water in your cup. You can't give to others. And I know that yeah. we talk about this, this selfish, you, you refer to it as this selfish, urge to bring the right people into your life. It, it is selfish. Absolutely. And selfish has a kind of a stigma on it, doesn't it? It does, but everyone's got it. Yeah. You know, everyone's got it. Everyone's got this innate selfishness in them. Either it's subconscious and they, you don't, maybe not, maybe not know, you may not recognize it usually because maybe you haven't really been practiced in like self-awareness, but the more self-aware you, you become, the more you realize how selfish people really are. I mean, it's kind of just, it's just behavioral science. People are in, you're like, you're trying to survive. You're built to try to survive, and that's a selfish thing, actually. So you have that already in you, and it just it bleeds over into all areas of your life. So, that, but it's okay to be selfish for positive reasons. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not too hard on myself with that. It's tough, though. It's a tough, tough, uh, tough challenge, right? Now, let's talk a little bit more about. I love that conversation, by the way. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about your business. Yeah. Um, so you, you started out with one location, you, you put the, as they call the elbow grease into it. Yeah. You guys, you guys work from every level, which is really important. You guys started up in a, first of all, you, you got rejected three times and I want to say that because I want that to inspire people. That's a reject- big deal. Yep. What did you see that the bank didn't see in that moment? The, the issue that this is, oh man, this is so great. The issue with banks typically is they're, they're looking at a project and investing in a project and usually it's data driven. Mm-hmm. So they look at your numbers and like, I don't think that this is going to really work. But and like private investors or um, peer-to-peer loans or like GoFundMe, those people are investing in a concept, but more importantly, they're investing in people. 
Right. That's what I started to notice was like the failure with the banks is that they didn't know who we who we were. They weren't ready to invest in us as human beings where family members and friends were, were ready to write the check um, because they believed in the people that were starting the business. It wouldn't even, I don't think it would have mattered what business we started. I think people want to invest in people. Right. And the banks aren't into investing in people for the most, especially startups. I mean. So you had people invest in you guys. Mm-hmm. You guys bootstrapped it. Mm-hmm. You guys hit the ground. You guys worked. You did every position. Yep. So I want this to kind of carry forward to all the listeners because I think it's so important that people realize there's not just one conventional way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of grit. It's simple, not easy, right? It's, yeah. I, uh, real quick, the yep. the one of the ways that we – I think this is a tactical thing that we can give listeners is that one of the ways that we structured the peer-to-peer loans with family members and friends was that we didn't have to start paying back on that loan until a year after we opened. Some of them were two years after we opened, and we promised to pay it back, everything back within five years. And so we opened the business. That's another thing about not going with a bank is now we've got, I don't know how much it was, like just roughly $30,000 or so, um, maybe, I don't know. We had some form of money that we didn't have to pay back to anyone for a year or even two years, uh, which opens up a cash flow in the business. Um, which is cash is king within within a business, and I just wanted wanted to point out that that's a tactical way that you can you can get money while also not having to pay it back for quite some time. That was huge for us to have that cash flow in the beginning of the business. Now it does create this false sense of security, mm-hmm. this false sense of we've got good money coming in, let's make some decisions, because eventually that money is going to start coming out. So you got to be kind of careful of that. Yeah. So y- you guys got the first you know the first location up and running. Yeah, you got past this whole. What's going to happen in Linden? Are they going to accept yep. a, a tap house in Linden? Alcohol being served on any day? We launched Sunday? on a Sunday, actually. Oh, nice. Yep. Yeah, was that planned? It was. We had to do it. It's like we needed to start making money, and that's when everything came together. So we launched on a on a Sunday in Linden. It was Valentine's Day, actually. Okay, so you get past that. How long did it take you guys to get that location to be profitable, or to get get that location to being Linden? self-sustaining? Yeah, Linden was profitable from the get. So just to be honest to all the listeners, it was profitable from the get-go. Now, how much profit? Not a lot, but it was profitable. I mean, you look at the numbers, it's a profitable business. Now, to where it can kind of be self-sustaining took us until right when we decided to start planning Barkley Village, our second location. So I would say that's been open in about a year and a half. So probably, uh, you know, probably a good year or a year and a half into Linden, we got it to a point where it could kind of be self-sustaining. Self-sustaining is such a kind of elusive word because... With self-sustaining, I kind of always thought of it as like all in or all out. So we're really kind of in the middle. We spend a lot of time at both at that location still. We're Meaning still your input. Yep. We're still very, very much involved. And it's not like we just walk away as owners. You know what I'm saying? That's actually something we learned in the Barkey Village location was that we were building the second location with the idea that we were going to open up a third one pretty quickly after. And we wanted to open that business without ownership presence there. So we could figure out if it would if this model would work for us. That was a mistake. Because we thought that our brand was stronger in Bellingham than what it actually was. And Barkley Village started off really slow because of that decision. So we decided not to open up a third location and really focus on building a community, which is what our strength is, in Barkley Village, similar to what we've done in Linden. It's taken longer, but it's getting there. So did it take longer, do you think, because of the environment that it was in? Linden not having anything like it and Bellingham having 
a lot of things, not exactly yeah. with what, like what you're doing. There's other bars, there's mm-hmm. other restaurants that serve alcohol. Was that kind of why you, you think it took a little bit longer? Was it the location in Bellingham? What was, what was it about I think that location? You pretty much nailed pretty much everything. So the main reason I think for Linden was that you had two Linden boys who grew up in Linden who helped start that business. Um, and one is extremely active in it. Uh, and then I married to someone who grew up in Linden and I think that helped, uh, that combined with the fact that the social, there was a big social good component that you could feel right off the bat when we opened up that Linden location and the community of Linden loves to give their givers. They give the charitable causes, they're supportive of charitable causes. And so this gave the community a reason to come out and drink beer, um, in public, uh, in our outdoor garden, you know, and and for a great cause, and I think that really helped build the community in Linden and create it to be create made it be successful from the start, and and the fact that it just what well, at the time there wasn't any any other craft beer in the city as well, um, and then you build a brand and people b- believe in your brand and they kind of stick around because of that. Uh, the Barkley Village location, I think, was just simply a combination of a lack of pre-launch marketing, I would say. Um, Again, what do you mean by that? We spent a lot of time in Linden on pre-launch marketing plans, focus groups after focus groups after focus groups, coming up with a with, with an intense plan to raise awareness for our for us launching. But again, because we thought the brand was a little stronger than what it what it actually was, we did less of that when we did Barkey Village. So it kind of started to come later, and we were literally work looking at other buildings after. I mean, while we were building that one out, we were focused on what's going to where could this third one possibly be as well. And so our attention was just never 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 really focused around building a community uh, in, in Barkey Village at the start, and that's just where it should have been. And so I think that Linden was more successful because it was there was ownership presence behind the bar for a very long time, connecting people to uh, the cause and connecting people to us and that kind of thing. And eventually, as as people got to know the beer tenders, they, they realized the beer tenders are bought in and they buy into the vision and then they get more connected to the beer tenders. But when you launch a brand new location, that's really, really hard to have your team be able to really buy into the culture enough to be able to, to be able to answer a simple question like how many people have you guys saved through this project or where does the money actually go or how does it get donated? They start asking those questions and you don't really have all the answers. But the community just—it's just taking a little while, a little bit, a little bit longer to get going. Once we invested our time in it, which is what any good business person should do, it's—it's it's definitely doing a lot better. So investing time, you know, we're talking about branding. How key is branding, and should entrepreneurs, you know, spend their time investing in branding, or should they just focus? That's more on, on the business, right? Yeah, that's all on the branding is everything. Yeah. Because when the economy fails, and they have, and the consumer has choices that they have to make. And a lot of those choices are subconscious. They're going to lean on companies that that have built a strong brand, a brand that they connect with. That's what's going to happen. In when there's a ton of competition, there's not really a whole lot of brand loyalty. You know, new place pops up. There's a nice little shiny object. You go check that out. You know, you mean that. But when the economy fails and you have to figure out how to spend your money, the best, most efficient way to spend your your money, then you're starting to think about why you actually go to certain places, you know, and you start connecting with, with the brand there's, you know, when you sell a business, you have what the company is worth, the revenue the company makes, what the company is worth. And then there's this other like line item above that. That's brand. What is the brand actually worth? And so if your goal eventually is to sell your company or to, to be around when the economy slows, because anyone, I think, I think a lot of people can build a successful business in the economy of the state that it's in right now. 
Right. But to build one and sustain one through a downed economy would be really, really hard. I'm kind of like mentally preparing myself for that right now, actually. And that that is all brand. That's 100% brand. And then, but what is brand? You know, what what is an actual? That's the, I think that's what people struggle with with it is what is brand? It's it's basically like. If I'm trying to sell you a pint, that's not brand. That's sales, right? I'm trying to, if I try to literally sell you a pint, that's not brand. But brand is everything else that our business stands for. All of the, the team members that we have there, the community members like you, people who come in, you know, and, and the wells that are being dug and the 25 cents a pint, those are all brand. But it's hard to focus on those things when you know that selling the pint makes you the money. Right. But if you can sell without selling, that's brand. Wow. Boom. So what you're telling everybody, including me, including the listeners, is that as the economy shifts, yes. which it is already having yeah. a hint of that, and it will continue to do so. Yeah. If it doesn't if, crash. If it doesn't crash. Yep. You know, hey, I thought you were a positive guy. But I am. I appreciate that. Say that in a positive way. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. <laughs> so... This is huge because we're talking about what's the one thing we should focus on. It's not about, yeah, you want to decrease your expenses as you go into a down economy. But if you're going to allocate your funds towards one thing, you're saying it should be brand. Yeah. You should be taking all of your extra money and putting it in brand, taking the littlest amount that you need to survive as a business owner and, and reinvesting it back into the company as brand. Now, if you need, if you're trying to grow, so if you want to buy a like for us, if you want to spend a couple thousand on a walk-in cooler to put a bottle fridge in, I understand that, you know. Um, but anything extra, you really want to start focusing on brand and using paid advertising to help connect people to your brand. Like brand right now on Facebook, Facebook is like one of the number one spots right now for paid advertising to build your brand. So for us, that would be a paid ad that is a picture of one of our team members holding a pint and there's a, you know, some kind of slogan that says something like 25 cents a pint is donated or every pint builds well. That's brand. And I would, I would pay money. I would pay thousands of dollars to have that image reach everyone in Bellingham on, on Facebook versus trying to sell a pint to them. And that's going to win long term. That's going to get people in the door. That's going to connect people to your brand. But it's so hard to think that way because initially it doesn't make you the money. Right. So we're talking about short-term versus long-term. Long-term. In, in business, we talk about widgets, right? We're talking about, I have to, in order to do th- hit this goal, I have to sell this amount of X, Y, and Z. And anybody that says they're not a salesperson is lying to themselves because we're all in some sort of sales. 100%. So you're saying, and I agree with you because yeah. if you sell a pint, there's no transference of energy. It's just no. a good transaction. For, it's a just transaction. transaction. And this is a relational, owning a business is a relational business, right? Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is that by branding yourself, mm-hmm. people are going to come in to your, to, your, to your establishment because of the brand that you've created and yep. the, the environment you've created. They're inevitably going to buy a pint. Yeah. Right? Yep. So it's, it's kind of the longer term play. It's, it kind of feels like dumping money into it, doesn't it? It really does. You're like, does. wow, where is this money going? But it's long term, dude. It's long term, and brand is always going to win if you can if you can figure that out. So you, I mean, in the beginning, you just need to make enough money to make payroll. Right. I mean, for as long as you can. If it's ten years, awesome, and you're reinvesting, reinvesting, depending on what your financial goals are, reinvesting, reinvesting back into the company, and then the rest of your money should be focused on growth, whatever that is, and brand. And then eventually, you, you it pops out, you know, on in the end, and you, now you start actually making a little bit of money and. Maybe you can take a little bit of a salary or whatever, but like, and everyone's different, but some people start businesses and need the money to, to live. And I understand that. 
But anything beyond that, you just want to focus on growth where you need to and then brand. Well, that, that's huge. And and, and I kind of want to go more down that road. We, we were talking a little bit about how you guys expanded really quickly. Yeah. You guys said, whoa, this is going great. We're going to go to Bellingham. Bellingham's going to be just the same. They're going to know our brand. It wasn't like that. Correct. And then you guys had already gone to Bellingham and then thought, where's our third location? What What's your vision longer term? How do you want to expand? How do you want to grow? How do you want to grow the people within your company? Yeah. What does that look, what's your vision of how that's going to unfold? Yeah. Expand, grow, and then grow people within the company. I think for people in the company, because that's the most important part of the business. So the, the beer tenders are, def, are the most important people in our company. And I don't know if they always feel that way sometimes, but it's the truth. They're the first person that, that gets connected, connects people to our, to our mission, you know, of, of, of building wells. Um, and I think just doing whatever we can to grow them into, into, um, to, to really help them accomplish whatever they want to accomplish in life. And that's, that's through getting to know them the best that I can. Right. And it doesn't always work out that way. There's not always a ton of time, but I try my best. And the more I can learn about people, the more I realize how I can be a positive force in their life to help them actually grow. So wherever they want to go, I want to help them get there, whether it's staying with us or buying a house or. Or you know, starting their own guy. tap house, right? Or starting their own tap house, right? Absolutely. Or like Angela's big dream is to start a restaurant, and I would love to do whatever I can do to help her get there. So that's so as far as staff goes. That's what I'm thinking of our thinking about as far as staff growth goes. But the business, <clears throat> one thing that I've liked about being in in partnership with Adam is that we it's it's weird. It's almost a cop out that we don't have a ten year plan, but we like to be able to pivot, and so. There could be a there could be a scenario where we might have five overflow taps locations. That's not likely at the moment, but it could happen. There could be a scenario where well, maybe we open up a brewery someday. Just you know, that's we haven't really talked about it, but you never know what could happen. Um, or like I've always had this dream of having uh, an executive team that you that a core group, and like maybe that's just me and Adam. Um, to do different types of businesses together. But you have this business portfolio that kind of all supports each other, but it's not necessarily tap houses. Maybe it's a media company, podcasts and video and and that kind of stuff. You start that business, but it also supports your other businesses as well. And so um, the long-term vision for overflow taps is to try to help solve the global water crisis. I wanna build as many wells as possible, whether that's through overflow taps, or through we start a nonprofit that also help maybe helps bring in that money to make it happen quicker. But like, that's the ultimate uh, goal for Overflow Taps is to stay profitable, pay, make payroll, make payroll, uh, and be able to build some wells, and hopefully someday be able to make a little bit of money. Um, you know, to keep doing what I love. Do you? Uh, I mean, this has been this has been great. Um, you know, you guys have a podcast too. We do. We yeah. do. It's, Talk to uh, me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we started it. Um, we decided uh, that instead of opening a third location, we would focus on Barkley Village, our second location. And as the third thing, the third location is we had this idea to start a media company. Um, and uh, it's going to start off with podcast, right? And in that podcast, uh, we mainly review beers. It gives us a good opportunity to just review beers uh, and connect with the customer base in a different way. And then we've also done some some things where we, by the way, it's called the Overflow Taps Craft Beer Experience. And, and you guys uh, are drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Yep, on the saying, podcast. Oh, this is foamy. This is foamy. 
Who poured this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah like there's <laughs> one episode where I accidentally poured beer in a dirty glass, and that's like a big no-no, right? Yep. Um, but uh, we've also been like one of the things we love to continue to do is, is we, like, there's been a couple instances where we've gone on site to breweries and set up our equipment and done the podcast there, which we love. Um, but again, that, that there's, it depends on time, you know, so that's freeing up more resources to be able to do those kind of things. I do think that if we were to set up a media company, um, it would help our business and our brand long-term. So that's kind of why we started the podcast was it's now the first piece of our media company, which I hope to eventually do in some video and some, some other stuff as well. I would like to live, live stream and, and video record the podcast so I can distribute that on YouTube and all the other channels. Uh, but that takes that definitely takes time and resources. So it'll come. It'll come in time. So it's how can fun. how can people find your podcast? How, when is it released? Yeah. What what streams? We try channels? to go every. We try to go every. We try to go every week. Sometimes it's depending on what's going on. It's maybe every two weeks. But we try to keep a weekly schedule. Not on a specific day though. It's on every major platform. Google. I mean, iTunes, Stitcher. There's not a platform that's out there that it's not on. Uh, it's distributed everywhere. Uh, and a, qu- the, a quick way to just uh, find information on it is to go to our website, overflowtaps.com, uh, and there's a podcast tab, and then you can hear the most recent podcast or subscribe on whatever platform that you love. And that's been a fun thing for us, man, just hanging out, drinking some beers. I think people think that that's what our job actually looks like. That's not what it looks like, right? We're not just hanging around drinking beers all day or there would be no business, but that's a time where we can kind of do that. And, uh, and Adam and I can connect and have a good time because we're both really busy. We actually don't spend very much time together just sharing a pint. So that's one of those where you get to do it. So what we'll actually end up doing for all the listeners, uh, we're going to actually put the link to your podcast in our link. Cool, not, man. You know, I appreciate that. And so people can uh, link, find the link to your latest episode and your past episodes and, uh, and uh, subscribe from there. Um, you know, really, my last question to you is, you know, as an entrepreneur, um, there, there's kind of people see you do things and they yeah. think, gosh, that guy's lucky. Is Is it... Is it just dumb luck that you stumble into some things or is it hard work or like, or is it both? Is it a a combination of both? Hard work breeds luck. Luck luck doesn't come without the hard work. So I'm going to give an example of just two guys. So there are two people. And if I'm building a tap house and you're building a tap house and you're spending four hours a day building your tap house and I'm spending 14 hours a day building the tap house, even if you're a little bit more efficient than I am at building a tap house, the fact that I'm grinding for that amount of time and uh, connecting with people and all those types of things, luck is going to come my way the harder that I work. That's another reason why I have a hard time with like the fill the cup thing where like I want to work as much as possible and not because I want to get lucky, but more doors will open for me the harder that I work. Well, you know, uh, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come out and uh, talk with us. Thank you for helping us kick off this first episode of Building Bellingham. We're super excited to continue to um, yeah, help businesses grow within uh, within Bellingham. So thanks for taking the time and um, looking forward to seeing your growth continue down the road as well. All right, brother. Thanks a lot. Today's episode was recorded at Binary Studios. Building Bellingham is produced and edited by David Lofgren. Andy Rick is our engineer. Our social media Jedi is Cooper Hansley. I'm Leo Cohen with the Cohen Group Northwest, your host. For more information, visit livebellinghamnow.com. Building Bellingham is a proud member of the BellPod Network, a collective of independent podcasts produced right here in the city of subdued excitement.